Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any info on our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Well, good morning. Oh, you're so alive. There's so, there's so many of you. <laughs> Last night at the fora, I asked them how they were doing and barely anyone responded. And I just said, you're dead. That's, that's how you are because there's no life. So this is good. You are not dead and you're responsive and that's wonderful. Uh, so, yes, I'm Ray Yoder. I've been here on staff for 17 years uh, this summer. By the way, uh, I, I've been here a week longer than Chris on staff. I just, I have seniority. Um, and, and now, actually, because Ray and Fran are now uh, employed under the church renewal banner, the only person who has more seniority here than me is Eunice. So that's something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, you may or may not remember, about a year and a half, uh, my role transitioned away from leading the cell ministry here at the church to uh, being the pastor of Freedom House. And so I've been doing that over the last year and a half, working really closely together with Marlene Lepke, who is the director of Freedom House. And now Marlene and I have been asked to take over the leadership of, of the whole pastoral care ministry of the church. So this is, this is the bunch of staff that are within that team. So there's Marlene and myself. And I, I, just, I just have to toot her horn here a little bit. Many of you won't know Marlene, but she is just dynamite. This is a fine, fine staff member who together basically counterbalances every weakness that I have, which means there's a lot <laughs> there. She's a very good person. Uh, and then Martin Gunter, Tina Cole, Terry Plett, Connie Chanzi, Antonio, Jennifer Allison, Antonia Kelsey, Grace Hebert, and Tim Ryan's replacement. Who will it be? Who will it be? Who will it be? So uh, that's our team there. And under that banner of staff, then that includes all of your, uh, all your pure desire ministries. So your seven pillars, eight pillars, betrayal and beyond, hope for men, all of that sort of cluster of ministries. Uh, there's also grief share, divorce care, everything to do with funerals and, uh, and marriage trouble, all that kind of stuff. Uh, the inner healing, personal ministry side of things. Basically, what I say to people is, if something hurts, we're your people, all right? So you can come, you can contact the office, you'll get directed to Connie. Connie will figure out who you should be connecting with, and then we go from there. One ministry that I just wanted to highlight under our banner here is that uh, personal ministry side of things. And this is a ministry where if you feel stuck in some way, shape, or form, whether it's a sin issue or a character, or you're just going through something that's really difficult, you can just call the church. You'll get directed to Connie, and she can connect you with someone, a trained staff or volunteer that you can meet with and just talk and pray through a thing. And it's a really beautiful thing that we have available within our church. It doesn't just have to be pastors who can do this. It just needs to be the church of God that's equipped to be able to walk people through. And so, the staff and volunteers that we have in this area are really, really wonderful and do a great job. So I just wanted to highlight that. This is your crew. This is the bunch of us. And of course, Grace Hebert and the whole senior side of things is there as well. And Gracie works uh, with a lot of women as well with a big cell that she has going on too. So anyways, that's, that's us. Uh, today, what I want to talk with you about is peace, about God's peace. 
my, in my observation within ministry, I, I've seen a real uh, upswing with uh, anxiety. There's a lot of people that are talking about and experiencing anxiety within our culture these days and uh, within our church. And I even, I was talking with my dentist a few years ago, and he had mentioned that uh, a lot more people are getting fitted with uh, these mouth guards now so that uh, to help prevent clenching and grinding when you're sleeping. And I, I asked him, well, what's that all about? And he said, people are just more stressed out than they used to be. I thought, isn't that interesting? And yet we look at scripture and Jesus says in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So I want you to just close your eyes for a minute. And I want you to simply allow to come to the forefront of your mind that thing or a couple of things that uh, give you stress or worry within your life. So maybe that's a a relationship, maybe that's a, a person in your world, maybe it's finances, could be your job, could be just the pace of your life, your schedule. Lord Jesus, you see everything within each one of our hearts. Nothing is hidden from you. And so you know the burdens that we carry. And I know that you want to meet us in these things. I thank you that you're sovereign and you're loving and you have the best intentions for us. You see the best way, the best plan. So Jesus, I just pray that as we go through this message today, that that there will be something that connects into these areas where we're carrying this stress and worry and anxiety. I pray that there would be something of your word and your truth that connects with these things that we might be able to walk within the peace that you desire to give us. Pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. So peace is something that we all want, right? I mean, I don't think there's anyone who wakes up in the morning and says, you know, today is a great day to be totally stressed out and worried out of my mind. You know, no, no, you don't go and make your morning coffee and say, okay, I need to figure out a way to sort of brood in low-grade resentment all day. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to have my coffee. I'm going to break out some cue cards. I'm going to flip through all the people that have offended me and wounded me in my life. And I'm going to recall all the things that they've done. You know, like, we don't do this. And if you do, please come talk to us. (laughs) We we can help you. But this isn't what we do, but yet how many of us find ourselves either regularly or intermittently with that worry burner just on low in our lives, you know, just just enough to keep it warm, just enough that eventually something's getting a little bit moldy in there, or maybe it dries out, or maybe eventually it even just ignites. But yet again, we have Jesus saying, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So what does Jesus mean when he says, I do not give to you as the world gives? Because obviously there's some kind of peace that the world gives. And it's very simple. The kind of peace that the world gives is the kind of peace that can be experienced where there's no conflict or stress, right? It's the kind of peace that you experience when you go on vacation or when maybe you have a coffee with a really close friend. For some of you, maybe it's a day at the spa. For some of you, it's 
this is a group of people I do not relate to, camping or fishing. I, I just, can, can I just say, our, our forefathers worked so hard to get us this kind of life, to get us air conditioning. They worked so hard. And now you just debase their memory by going and celebrating things, by living like cavemen and peasants. I I just, I just don't understand. But that's okay. God bless you. It is a way that you experience some peace. So whatever the case is, however it is that you access that peace, uh, it's a wonderful thing to experience, right? We enjoy that. And, but here's the thing that you need to know about that piece is that is an entirely natural piece, right? You don't have to be saved to experience that kind of peace. You just need to go on a vacation or go to the spa or go camping or whatever the case is, right? But supernatural peace is, is something different. And it starts with, first of all, peace with God, which is something that we acquire at the moment of salvation, Right? When we come and when we bow our knee before God and we say, God, I have messed up my life. I'm not good enough. I, I am riddled with sin and I can't pull off this life on my own. So please, would you just take the lead in my life? I'm ready to actually submit to you and follow you. And so at that moment of salvation, we acquire peace with God and we acquire it in full. Now, when we get saved then there's also this beautiful gift that's set before us on on the table, and it's the peace of God. And the peace of God is different than peace with God because it's something that is available to every believer, but it's not accessed by every believer. So look at John 16, 33. It says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So again, if you look at this passage, first line, uh, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have... In this world, you will have tribulation. So we're guaranteed that we're going to have tribulation. We're guaranteed that we're going to have trouble. But somehow, we're still... It's still possible for us to have peace. And that is the peace of God. It's peace that's readily available, readily available for those of us who follow Christ, no matter what the circumstances, because we gain it in him. So why do so many of us not live in this peace? What, what is it that stops us from opening this gift that's on the table in front of us? And, and that's what I want to spend a little bit of time on here today. First of all, diagnosing a, a major barrier to us experiencing the peace of God and then looking at a biblical prescription to that malady. And just one disclaimer as we get started, I am not, I am neither a doctor, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a therapist, I'm not here to address anxiety disorders, that's just not what I'm trying to do, okay? What I'm talking about here is basic Christian doctrine, just good biblical wisdom when it comes to the peace of God. So what you're not gonna do, please and thank you, is leave here, and take your anxiety pills and wash them down the toilet and go to your doctor and say, well, the pastor at Southland preached blah, 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 blah. Okay, it's just, it just makes us look bad. It makes me look bad. And please, I, I can do that well enough on my own. <laughs> I do not need your assistance. 
Okay, that's, it's just not what I'm trying to address here today, but this is for all of us, all right? So what I want to do is I want to start off by just giving you a bit of an illustration that I think is helpful for where we're going. Uh, Marlene, you're in this service somewhere, right? Marlene, Lepke, come, 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 come. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, you just got voluntold. That's how that works. <laughs> So Marlene has been our Freedom Host director for many years, and like I said before, is just dynamite. The way that she masterfully can, uh, in both hands, carry love for our participants as well as really strong boundaries and a sense of structure, it's masterful. Uh, so anyways, that was, that was a little intro. Okay, just take that. It's, you, you trust me. Trust me. Okay, just come stand here. Okay, finish the message. No. <laughs> okay, here's what, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to look out over the, the auditorium and just tell me what you see. But, okay, that, that has oh, to actually yeah, right. go close to your mic. I don't do this. Yeah. I'm not a pastor. Okay, what do you see? Some amazing, beautiful people. Oh. You see more than that. Keep going. That was lovely, but you're, you're not selling what something here. What do I here, see? So. Yeah, what do you see? Just tell me what you see. Okay. I see, it it's actually feels very dark from this side. Mm-hmm. There's some lights there. I see the screen that says peace. I see the time. Nine, am I doing what you yeah, want me to yeah, do? Yeah, you're, you're nailing it. Okay. <laughs> this was not pre, pre, uh, pre-acted. <laughs> okay, good. Now t- turn around behind you. What do you see back here? Oh, well, oh, I see the back of me, which I don't like. <laughs> 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 okay, so and other I than that, and I see all these instruments and lights and okay, screen. good. Okay, come back over here. <laughs> you can have the front of you aim this way. <laughs> okay, now close your eyes. Okay. Now what do you see? Nothing. Oh, oh open your eyes. Oh. Okay. <laughs> uh, picture that. Microphone a little closer there again. Sorry. A picture that one of your kids drew. Okay. Or you. <laughs> it's blue. It's in a box. Okay, see anything else? It's very close. Uh, oh, oh, it's a person. It's a person. Okay, let's just, let's just shift this way and turn with me. We're turning this way. Okay. Turning to your right. With your feet. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Keep going. I'm a slow learner. <laughs> okay, and what do you see now? I see the same picture, and it's way too close to my eyes. Okay, good. Thank you. Give her a round of applause. (laughs) That's so fun. Uh, (laughs) I will just show you the picture that that, uh, was in front of her. Oh, yeah, good. You can see that well. So I I asked my five-year-old to draw me a picture yesterday of a monster for my message illustration. So this is what she drew, which incidentally she clarified and said, it's a monster pretending to be a pirate so that they can get the money from the real pirates. Well, clearly my kid's going to come need to see my ministry at some point. But uh, anyways, the, the point of the illustration is this. When, this. This picture was on the podium when Marlene was up here and it was facing her. She didn't actually even draw any attention to it, but it was there. 
But she was able to look around. She was able to see everything within the auditorium. Then she was able to see everything on the stage. As soon as I held up the very same picture that had been in front of her, really, really close to her, all she could see was this. And this is the point. When we focus primarily on our problems, they get bigger within our hearts and within our minds. If we isolate these things, they become all-encompassing and we lose the context of God, history, and his mercies within our lives. Let's call that a, a microscope perspective. Okay, Romans 12.2 talks about being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And I think that that works. I know that that works both ways. So the things that we spend our minds on, the things that we spend our time thinking about, will transform us, whether for good or for ill. One way or the other, we're going to be transformed by the things that we meditate on, which is why Philippians 4.8 says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. See, the meditations of the mind and the habits of the body will propel us on a trajectory in one way or another. You look at the story of Job. Job had total disaster befall him, right? And it was patently permitted by God at the hand of Satan himself. His livelihood was destroyed by raiders and supernatural fire. His children were all killed in a natural disaster. And then his health was plagued with, and I quote, loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. All that he was left with was his disillusioned wife who counseled him to curse God and die, right? Job had plenty of negative circumstances to focus on, and he understandably grieved and lamented at length the pain that he was enduring. He had financial loss, he had the death of his children, he had marital tension, all of those things, and they would have hurt. They would have caused him pain. And in no way, shape, or form am I suggesting, when I'm talking about perspective, that we do not feel the pain of our painful, challenging circumstances. I, that would, it would be delusional, it'd be dismissive, it would just be dishonest. That's not what I'm saying. But he goes on for many chapters, lamenting and despairing and interacting with his friends uh, about his plight, and then God responds. And what I find really interesting about God's response is he doesn't respond to Job's circumstance, he actually responds to Job's perspective. Look at Job 38. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations, and who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy. Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb, and as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness? For I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no farther will you come. Here, your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to the night's wickedness? As the light approaches, the earth takes shape like clay pressed beneath a seal. It is robed in brilliant colors. The light disturbs the wicked and stops the arm that has raised in violence. 
Have you explored the springs from which the seas come? Have you explored their depths? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it if you know. This goes on for four chapters. And at the end of this, listen to Job's response. He says this, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. See, Job, Job got it. God pulled that, that picture of his problems back away from his eyes. They didn't disappear. Natural peace was still nowhere to be found. And, and Job wasn't required to not feel the pain and the loss of his circumstances but he was required to not build an altar to it and worship at it day and night. That was what God was doing. He was challenged to observe the grandeur of God, which naturally then resulted in worship and humility and in supernatural peace. God moved Job's eyes off of his microscope perspective and gave him what we could call a telescope perspective. And what does a telescope do? A telescope doesn't make something bigger than it is. What it does is it actually helps us see something as it is, right? I mean, if you look at the night sky and you look up the stars, you can look and you can blot out stars with your thumb, right? And yet we know that actually some of those stars are bigger than the planet we live on. Some of those stars are even bigger than our sun. They're gigantic. So a telescope, it's not dishonest. It doesn't make something bigger than it is. What it does is allows us to see something as it is. And that's what we're looking for. So a telescope reveals the grand truth of reality. And that's what God was doing with Job. He took away that microscope perspective and gave Job a telescope. He gave Job context for his life and his suffering within the grand scheme of creation and history. And he wants to do that for us. Because at some point or another, our natural peace will be disturbed. It will have already been disturbed for most of you, if not all of you. And it will again, time and time again throughout your life, and sometimes in small ways, and sometimes in earth-shattering, life-changing kinds of ways. But that peace, that natural peace is going to be disrupted. And so our perspective really, really matters. I want to play for you right now the testimony of Johnny Erickson Tata. Take a look at this. Just a few weeks after high school graduation, as I was preparing to head off to college, my sister Kathy invited me to go to the beach for a swim. I swam out to this raft, athlete that I was, I didn't even touch bottom, hoisted myself up onto it and then took this really stupid dive into what ended up being extremely shallow water. I snapped my head back when I hit bottom and it crunched my fourth cervical vertebrae, severing my spinal cord. There I was lying face down in the water, desperately hoping that my sister Kathy would please notice that I had not surfaced from my dive. Unbeknownst to me, her back was turned to me. She didn't even see me take that dive. But a crab bit her toe. And it so startled her that she quick turned around in the water screaming to me, Johnny, watch out for crabs. 
And when she did, she saw my blonde hair floating on the surface. I was face down, ready to drown. She came swimming quickly, pulled me up out of the water. And I never, I never was so grateful for fresh air. She saved me. But for what purpose, for what reason? Because now, lying there in a hospital, doctors told me I was going to have to sit down for the rest of my life as a quadriplegic without use of my legs or, or even my hands. My hands don't work. And I remember thinking, God, is this, is this your idea of an answer to a prayer to be drawn closer to you? If it is, you're never going to be trusted with another one of my prayers again. I mean, I'm a new Christian. How could you have taken me so seriously? I sank into deep depression. I remember there were wonderful Christian friends who came to the hospital and they encouraged me. And one Bible verse they shared was from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, where God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans not to harm you, but to help you, plans to prosper you and to give you a hopeful future. God, you, you mean you plan not to harm me? Well, what do you call quadriplegia, huh? What's that all about? As I read that verse and the context around it, I realized something, that when God said that, he was saying it to his children who were being dragged away into captivity by, by the Babylonians. They were going to exile. They were going into slavery. They had decades in front of them of hard, awful suffering. And I began to see that God's plans for a hopeful future for me was not necessarily jumping up, dancing, kicking, doing aerobics, running, walking, getting back use of my arms and my legs. No, God's plans for me go far deeper, a deeper healing, a precious healing of the soul. Because as I was pushed into the arms of God every morning, and that's the truth, even to this day, don't be thinking I'm an expert at quadriplegia, but as it was then in the hospital and as it is today, every morning I wake up saying, Jesus, I can't do this thing called life. Please help me. Please show up. Give me your smile. Give me your strength because I can't make it through the day. And because I go to God with that earnest dependency and, and requirement of His grace every single day, I take that back. No, every single moment I experience the sweetest, most precious, most intimate union with Jesus Christ. So in Jeremiah 29, when God says He won't harm us, doesn't mean the body, doesn't mean our circumstances. He's not going to do anything to harm our soul. Yes, our body may get harmed, but it will somehow serve to enrich our soul. In closing, let me just say that quadriplegia, 46 years of it, that's a long time. I deal with chronic pain. I, um, I had breast cancer a couple of years ago, and I remember I remember as my husband was driving me home in the van from chemotherapy one day, we were talking about how suffering is like little splashovers of hell, kind of like waking us up out of our spiritual slumber. And then we, we pulled in the driveway and he said, well, then what do you think splashovers of heaven are? Are they those easy, breezy, bright times where everything's going your way, where you have health? And we said, no. Splashovers of heaven are finding Jesus in your splashover of hell. And to find Jesus in your hell, 
is ecstasy beyond compare, and I wouldn't trade it for any amount of walking in this world. That's some amazing perspective there, hey? That's when we're talking about telescope perspective, that's what we're talking about. And Johnny, like Job, has seen God in her pain and has seen her pain through God's eyes. Johnny now leads a worldwide ministry serving people with disabilities. She's written over 48 books, including her own autobiography, which we use in Path to Freedom here at the church. And that autobiography has sold over 5 million copies in 45 languages. She's been instrumental in crafting government policy in the U.S. regarding people with disabilities, has given away over 100,000 wheelchairs to people in developing countries, and runs scores of ministry for those with disabilities and their families. And that's out of that perspective. Now, think, what would her life and what would the fruit of her life look like had she remained that angry, depressed young adult in the hospital? Looked very, very different. So that's the kind of perspective that we need when we look at our lives and our problems, the things that disturb our natural peace. We need that telescope perspective and not that microscope perspective. So, of course, then the million-dollar question is, well, that's all, that's all fun and good, but how do we get there? Right? What, what do we do? And the beautiful thing is that Scripture actually gives us a very basic strategy on how we can get there. And it's found in one of my favorite passages of Scripture in Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. And I would love if you would read that with me now. So let's read together. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. So what about, what about my child that's far away from the Lord right now? Nope. What about, what about my spouse that's steeped in addiction? Nope. What about my hydro that's going to get cut off because I'm behind in my bills? Nope. You know, what's interesting is even when I was preparing this message, those statements that I just made almost sounded irresponsible to articulate. But yeah, because isn't that how we, how we think? We feel like somehow our worry is productive. Somehow it's to take responsibility means to worry, but that's not what taking responsibility means. That's not what this passage is saying. Instead of worrying, we're to pray. It also doesn't say, instead of worrying, then, you know, manipulate through charm or through tears or don't, don't worry about anything. Instead, you know, bully and yell. It doesn't, it doesn't even say, don't worry about anything. Instead, uh, talk to all your friends, you know, gossip with all your friends about it and post passive aggressive things on social media. <sighs> Please stop. <laughs> right? It, does, it doesn't say that either. What it says is don't worry about anything. Instead, pray. The degree to which you listen and talk to God is in direct correlation to the degree that you perceive your need for God. 
I'll say that again. The degree to which you listen and talk to God is in direct correlation to the degree that you perceive your need for God. Just like, just like I can look at my bank statement and I can learn some things about what I value, so too I can look at my prayer life and discern how much I'm truly relying on God within my life and turning to him within the stuff of my life. And, and I'm not just talking about a daily devotional time, although that's, that's certainly a huge part of it because it's about building a relationship, right? So in addition to that daily time with the Lord, I'm also talking about just the, the stresses and anxieties of life as well as the, the joys and the delights of life, actually having these little conversations with the Lord throughout the day. You know, Scripture talks about unceasing prayer, that we're supposed to pray unceasingly. And that just means bringing him into part of the conversation of what's going on within your world. So yes, while you're reading your Bible and while you're spending time with him, but also within those times where you're disciplining your kids or you're dealing with your in-laws and you're just trying to figure out life. It's all of that. That is all prayer is we have those conversations. So this passage, uh, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, gives us three really basic steps. First of all, pray about everything. So just express your honest heart and feelings to God. Tell him about how you feel about the situation, how hopeless things seem. Tell him how you feel like you're dying on the inside. Tell him that you wish that you could just escape this situation, but you can't. Here's a suggestion that I have for you, because getting into a habit of prayer, at least I found this, it is hard. <laughs> it doesn't come naturally. But I'll tell you what does come naturally. Worry. Wow, that's a no-brainer, right? So here's my encouragement to you. Use worry as a catalyst for prayer, as a trigger to prayer. So all of a sudden, uh, you start thinking about that thing, whatever it is. Remember that thing at the beginning of the message that you were considering. So you start thinking about that, and you notice your blood pressure go up a little bit, and your pulse rises a little, your stomach starts to churn a bit, because you're thinking, 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 thinking about this thing. Take that and simply redirect. Often when I meet with people, I'll say, the difference between just stewing on a thing and praying on a thing is actually adding Jesus on the front of everything else that happened after that. So instead of, oh, I'm just so stressed about these bills and I don't know how I'm going to pay them and I just don't understand why my spouse is so upset all the time, blah, 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 blah. It's saying, Jesus, I am so stressed out about these bills and I don't understand why my spouse is stressed out and yet, da, 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 da. Please, like, you, you've got to help me. I don't know what to do here. It's, it, it, it's that simple but it's that hard. But if you can harness your worry and actually use that as a trigger for prayer, it can be massively helpful. And you can just be very honest as you go to God. Look at, look at how honest David was in Psalm 142. I cry out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all my troubles. When I'm overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should turn. Wherever I go, my enemies have set traps for me. I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me. No one cares a bit what happens to me. Then I pray to you, O Lord. I say you're my place of refuge. You are all I really want in life. Hear my cry, for I am very low. Rescue me from my persecutors, for they're too strong for me. Bring me out of prison so I can thank you. The godly will crowd around me, for you are good to me. 
So we need to pray about everything. Next, we need to tell God what we need. Let him know. From your perspective, as you, think, as you see things, what, what needs to happen, and ask for his help to make that happen. Listen in prayer for your situation, and listen in prayer for the other people within your situation. You know, if you're in a relational tension with someone, and you're frustrated with them, take that into prayer and say, God, how do you see this person right now? How do you see them? Because right now, I'm just irritated to the nth, and I don't even know how to handle it. So please, would you just speak to me? How do you see them? And I'll tell you, I've done this many times. When the Lord speaks into that, he inevitably, for me, has given me a window into what's going on in their world, in, uh, gives me a reminder of their history, gives me some kind of uh, compassion that opens up within my heart is I remember some of their context. They're not just, they haven't been born in the world and have set out with a strategy to make my life hard. <laughs> right? There's something that's going on within them as well. And when you go to the Lord and when you ask for uh, a window into his heart like that, we're actually able to join the intercession of Jesus and what he is praying and what his desires are for us, our situation, and the other people within our situation. It informs our prayers and it gives us a right heart as we're seeking him on it. It's a really beautiful thing. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Daniel 2.22, he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. Third thing, we need to thank him for all he has done. I want to encourage you with something. Your problems are not God's first rodeo. Right? Like, sometimes we get so microscope-focused on our stuff that we just think God can't possibly help us with this one. I'm here to encourage you and remind you that God has been in the work of helping humans for centuries and millennia, and he can and desires to help you. So we need to remember, we need to recall, how has God been faithful to us? How has God been faithful to you within the last year? How has he been faithful to you in the last five years, the last 10? And what, what can we be thankful for? We can be thankful for the cross. We can be thankful for salvation. We can be thankful that this life is only a few decades long, and then we gain eternal bliss with him. There's always something there that we can be thankful for. Because I, I, one of the things that the Israelites got in a lot of trouble with, with God, was that they did not remember. They were quick to forget so he delivers them out of Egypt, and a short little while later, we find them grumbling and complaining because they don't get to eat what they want to eat, right? They've forgotten. Or now there's this promise. They get to go into the promised land, this beautiful, amazing place, and now the enemies are looking too strong, and so they say, nah, I don't, uh, I, 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 that's too scary. I'm too scared. I, I don't want to do that. They forgot all that God had done. And so what ended up happening with the Israelites, of course, is then they would turn to lesser things because their natural peace had been disturbed in those circumstances, right? So take the promised land. They're supposed to be walking into the promised land, and now they see that the enemies are looking too big. Their natural peace is disturbed. And so what do they do? They, they retreat in fear, and they try to find some other way of finding peace, of finding natural peace. They want that natural peace restored. And really, are we so different? Don't we do the same thing? 
our natural peace gets disturbed, and, and what are we prone to do? We're prone to try and resolve it with, with food or with alcohol or with social media or a Netflix binge or exercise or work or whatever the case is, but we try to find some external way to quell what's quaking within to restore our natural peace. And God has more in mind for us than that. Then comes the promise. Then you will experience God's peace. Then we can rest in the reassuring hush of the presence of Jesus. And he comes in a whisper or in a scripture or in a song, and he breathes calm within us. And he moves us from that microscope perspective to a telescope perspective, from, from demanding natural peace within our lives to coming to a place of acceptance and embracing his supernatural peace, even when pain, painful circumstances prevail. And he does this all in the context of his incredible, intimate love for us. What we face, we never face alone. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is a, this is a peace that's born of relationship. It's a supernatural peace born of a supernatural relationship. Sometimes I'm a little concerned that we treat our Bibles not dissimilar to how we treat a, a glass of wine or a Netflix binge where we're looking for a hit. And, and we just want something to make us feel better right now. And let me say, you know, if, if you're looking for options, clearly the Bible is the winner between booze and media and the Bible. <laughs> okay, so, so I'm not deflating that. What, what I'm saying is uh, that, that's, that's not the climate in which supernatural peace is sustained. Supernatural peace is sustained within a supernatural relationship. If you look at the end of that Philippians uh, four, six, and seven passage, it says, his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So as we abide in the vine, then we can experience his supernatural peace no matter what blows up in our face, no matter what our life circumstances look like. We can come back to that and we can experience it in the midst of our pain. So what I want to do in closing is I want to read Psalm 23. And I'm going to read it in the Amplified Version simply because sometimes we become, we become dull to what's familiar. But uh, what I want you to do is just close your eyes again and just hold your hands out on your lap with your palms up and imagine again that, that stress or that worry within your heart or your life. And imagine that that's there in your hands on your lap. And as I read through Psalm 23 and then Zach and the team are going to lead a special on peace, and as they sing through that song, you can stay seated. I want you to surrender that to the Lord. And you can be mumbling a prayer out loud, or you can just do that in your heart. But you offer that up as surrender to him within that place of stress and worry. The Lord is my shepherd to feed, to guide, and to shield me. I shall not want he lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still and quiet waters. He refreshes and restores my soul, my life. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though 
I walk through the sunless valley of the shadow of death. I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod to protect and your staff to guide, they comfort and console me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed and refreshed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy and unfailing love shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell forever throughout all my days in the house and in the presence of the Lord.